All right, so we're starting in verse 18. It says this, it says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, Have you ever read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. But, you know, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Ooh, it's the word of the Lord. You guys may be seated. And here comes Thank Ryan. You, Woo! Yeah, well read. Hey, is this your book? Yeah, there you go, man. Hey, hold on to that. Hold on to that. Good to see everybody this morning. Welcome to church. Gosh, it's good to be at church. It's good to be with you guys. And I want to welcome everybody who maybe who's new. Maybe you're like, oh my gosh, I'm at church. How did this happen? <laughs> you know, I've been there. I've totally been there. And, uh, you know, we just are so glad you're here. And we really do want to be a community of people that are, you know, is a safe place for people no matter where they're at on their spiritual journey. You could be a total downright skeptic. You could be curious. You could be a seeking, really wanting to know more about God in your life. Or you could be a lifelong follower of Jesus going further up into the kingdom of God. So we're glad you're here. And we're in a series in the Gospel of Mark. One of the most direct, exciting, dynamic, action-filled, emotional, passionate uh, views or versions of Jesus's life that we get of all the four gospels. We are coming to the end of chapter two and chapter two, we are seeing the storm clouds are gathering around Jesus. Everything has been awesome, right? He's been kicking demons out. He's been healing people, forgiving people, going to parties. And it looks good, but conflict is starting to brew on the horizon for Jesus. So let's go to the image. Here we go. I want you guys, when you, there we are. There's our storm. You see it? Okay, there it is. That, that represents what we are experiencing in this passage today. And uh, you can see there's a little bit of daylight off in the corner of that image. Um, but yeah, storm is coming as we see Jesus in a um, one-way collision with uh, the Pharisees. And he's going head-to-head with these guys. And next week, we're going to see the tension in this passage hit a boiling point and just explode next week. you got to be here. My man, Nick, is going to bring the heat, and I'm telling you, one of my favorite preachers on the planet, and he's going to help us just go into this explosive conflict with the Pharisees. But here we are today watching it build the tension in chapter 2. 
And uh, today we're going to be, I want us to really understand the nature of their conflict because we're going to see this tension building all through the rest of Mark and we need to understand the tension that Jesus is having with the religious leaders because we are going to experience that tension sometimes in our own life. As Jesus shows up in our life, he's going to create tension for us. And we need to learn how to recognize the tension in our lives that's not coming because something bad has happened, but because God is bringing his newness to us and we're struggling with how to respond to it. But secondly, as we are filled with the new wine of God and we're sent out into the world, we're going to experience tension with the world. And Jesus is going to show us how to respond to that tension. And he's going to show us how not to respond to that tension. And so we need to understand the controversy here. It's going to really help us make sense of what we're about to see for the rest of the Gospels. And then secondly, I want to use this passage today to help us um, recognize God's presence and activity in our life. Especially when his activity in our life is making us uncomfortable. Ever been there? Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like God showing up in your life started to make things harder, not easier? Come on, come on now. Ever felt like God showing up in your life made things more challenging, more difficult than you expected? Right? Because, right, come on, we all thought that Jesus in our life would make everything easier, right? You can have something incredibly good come into your life and make things more challenging. And that's what we're going to discover with Jesus. I remember, I'll give you an example from my life and then we'll get into this. Like I remember um, when I was starting to date this beautiful young woman who would eventually be my wife, but at the time we were going out on dates, having a blast. And yet whenever we went our separate ways and I would start to think about those dates, I would have paralyzing anxiety. It was right after the moment where we said, I love you. That moment, you know, the DTR. And all of a sudden, everything just got more intense for me. And I would find myself on the floor of my apartment in a paralyzing panic attack. And I didn't know how to make sense of it. Is this because there's something wrong in the relationship? Or is there something in me that needs to change? And I didn't know the difference. And I didn't know what God was doing. Can you relate to that? Can you think of a moment in your life where as God showed up in your life, he brought tension to your life? That's what the Pharisees are experiencing. I want to help us recognize those tension points with God and know how to respond. So let's go there together. Let's start with the problem. What is the problem that the Pharisees are having with Jesus? Let's really make sure we get this. Um, there's four controversies in chapter 2 around Jesus. The first one earlier from last week had to do with Jesus forgiving someone their sins and him assuming the right to forgive someone of their sins that should only be God's authority. And the Pharisees call it, do you remember what they called it? Blasphemy, Blasphemy right? You're, you're being sacrilegious, Jesus. You're claiming authority that belongs to God alone. And then Jesus goes out to dinner with a bunch of sinners and tax collectors, and he's going to their parties. Jesus is clubbing it. Now, that kind of offends you a little bit. It doesn't offend you half as much as it offended them to see Jesus going to their dinner parties and hanging out with them without requiring them to clean up their life for him to spend time with them. Now, that ought to tell you something about God right there. 
but it made the religious leaders uncomfortable. And it appeared to them like he was being casual and flippant about spiritual things. They're like, you're claiming authority, but you are acting in a way that doesn't show the kind of reverence and devotion that we're used to. And that really shows up today when they talk about the fasting. They're like, you don't fast the way that we do. Why aren't you fasting? Why aren't you holding the Sabbath the way that we do? These were religious practices that communicated devotion and zeal for God. And they're looking at Jesus' life going, man, you are way too casual. So we need to understand how Jesus responds to them in order to understand the tension we experience with God. So let's do that. Uh, Let's go into the fasting and then into the Sabbath if we have time. But the fasting thing. So let's talk about the fasting. First of all, we know that Jesus loved to fast. We know that he fasted at the very outset of his ministry when he went into the wilderness, right? 40 days. Now that's some serious fasting. And we know that he says in this passage that when the bridegroom is taken, they will fast then. But for right now, he's saying it's, it, it doesn't work. And let's try to understand what Jesus is saying to them. First of all, fasting is a spiritual practice that people do when they are mourning or grieving, get this, the apparent absence of God's will and favor in their life. Do you know what I'm talking about? When you experience loss, tragedy, or death, it appears as though God's favor is not on your life, and you would fast to mourn what appears as God's absence of favor, and you're crying out to God, God, show me where you are in this dark night of my soul. Secondly, people would fast to awaken an increased sensitivity to God's presence and will in their life because A, they'd become become complacent and lukewarm in their spiritual life, or they need to make a decision and they're not sure what God's will is. So fasting was a way of increasing that sensitivity to God's will in their life. So fasting was a sign of spiritual passion and devotion. And they're looking at Jesus and what's Jesus doing? They're fasting, all serious and spiritual. And what's Jesus doing, everybody? What's he doing? He's partying. He's partying. He's eating. He's hanging out. He's clubbing it. He's, you know, he's just out there with people so far from God. And they're looking at him and they're doubting, how can this guy really be representing God when he acts like this, when he's out there having all this fun, walking out with a bag of lollipops? What's going on with this guy? And so Jesus gives them three parables, and the parables are designed to give the disciples and us an interpretive lens to make sense of the tension that we experience when God is moving in our life and doing something so new, so awesome, so good, that you are afraid of it. That's what this is for. And so we need this to understand what Jesus is doing. Let's go into it. The first, in verse 19, he talks about a bridegroom. Okay, and he says, look, and he compares himself to a bridegroom, and he's like, when the bridegroom is around, do you fast? And then he talks about, in verse 21, underline that, so you got bridegroom, underline it, underline verse 21, the unshrunk patch of new cloth. Do you put 
a new patch on old clothes? And then he goes through the parable of the wine. Do you put new wine in old wineskin? Now, you guys, these illustrations to us are a little bit lost on us. The wedding one is still relevant for us, but maybe, come on, how, when was the last time you sewed a patch on anything? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I go to my, I go to, you know, the laundry place, hey, can you sew this for us? I, I have never sewed a patch in my life. I'm admitting it right now. How many people here have never sewed a patch? Raise your hand. Am I alone? Am I? Okay, just a very few of us. <laughs> yeah, it's embarrassing. But we're in it together. Uh, uh, the new wine and the wineskin, no, because we use casks. So what do these have in common? Well, what is Jesus trying to say about these parables? What do they have in common? Look at them real quick. Okay, number one, they all come from an over an umbrella metaphor of a wedding. So when you're going to a wedding, you've got a bridegroom. You with me? Number two, when you go to a wedding, you are wanting to bring out your best clothes, right? And if you can't go out and buy new clothes, what do you do? You get your old clothes and you put something new on it to make it nicer. And what do you expect to have at a wedding? You are not expecting water, but you are expecting wine in the ancient Near East because you're bringing out your best. You're bringing out your best food, your best clothes for this amazing event because what are weddings about? They're about celebrating. It's time to get our party on. And God loves to party because he is the happiest being in the universe. I want you to really think about that. You look at those images from the Webb telescope and you look out into deep space and you look at these swirling galaxies. You cannot look at them and go, uh, no, they are just explosions of God's joy in the heavenly realms. They are radiant, they are beautiful, and they just fill you with wonder because God is the happiest being in the universe and God has come to bring us into the full glory of his happiness. You've got to understand that's the good news that Jesus is talking about. Now that sounds awesome. Why would anyone have a problem with that? Are you with me? Why would anyone have a problem with a bunch of goodness? It's like, come on, man. Bring out the goodness. I'm ready. So the other thing that these all have in common is incompatibility. Go ahead and write that in your notes. You don't bring fasting to a wedding. Let's go to the next slide. Look, when you go to a wedding, you are going to celebrate. You don't cut into the cake. And when your bride is handing you a piece of cake, you go, no, 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 I'm on an Atkins diet. Sorry, babe. Working on the six-pack for tonight. <laughs> Can't have that cake, you know. It would just be, can you imagine? And so Jesus is like, give me a break. Drop the diet. It's time to party. It's time to celebrate. It's incompatible to do that, just like it's incompatible to put an, a new patch on old clothes. Why? Let's go to the next slide. Because the new patch is going to shrink up and what's the old clothes going to do? It's going to stay the same. It's not going to change. And the new thing is going to pull away from the thing that won't change. You get that? Incompatible. It's so incompatible. Oh my gosh, it is like putting new wine in old wineskins. Why is that so obvious? Because they used to put them in these leather casks, these leather bags made of animal skin. And as the new wine 
would be fermenting. It's releasing carbon dioxide and stretching that skin. And the old skin that's brittle just tears because what? It won't give. It won't flex. It won't change. It won't shape around the new wine. It insists on staying just the way it was. You getting it? Are you getting it? And it would burst. Can you imagine the foolishness of someone choosing the old wineskin over the new wine. I mean, what are they going to do with this wineskin? Chop it up and make it into tacos? I mean, it has no value. But he's talking about the absurdity of like, are you kidding me? Are you going to really choose the old wine over the wine? Old wineskin over the wine? Because the wine is where the goodness is at. Because you won't change and flex. You're going to burst. It's, it's like... It's like getting married and coming home the week after your honeymoon and finding yourself in the dorms at midnight realizing you have a wife. That was me. So like I came back married trying to live the way I had lived before. Because when you get married, a new life has come into your life and your life has to change. Are you with me? I talked about this last week, remember? But we sometimes think, no, 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 no. They're going to change to my life. You know what I mean? And there I was at midnight, and I'm hanging out with these freshmen, and we're just, ch- you know, chucking it up and yucking it up in the dorms. And I had dinner with them. We're playing video games, talking about God, talking about, you know, heaven and hell while we play, like, some video game. And then it hits me like a thunderclap. I have a wife. <laughs> no, it really happened this way. This is, like, the year before cell phones came out, you guys. So some of you guys were like, oh, my gosh. Yes, I am that old. And... Thomas Edison lived right next door, and I give him high fives every day. What's up, Tommy? But some people are like, I don't even know who that is. I know. I got you. Like, uh, I grab a phone in the dorm, and I call my wife, and I'm like, babe. And she's like, where are you? I've been home since five, and we got dinner, and I've just been sitting here. I thought I was going to call the police because I thought you had been in an accident. And I'm like... So everything had to change for me. I was like, okay, I was in the dorms nightly till two in the morning. That's just the way I rolled, man. I was with them because after midnight, college students start getting honest and you can have the best spiritual conversation. But what am I going to do now? Am I going to come home to my wife or am I going to stay out and reach people with the gospel of Jesus? You better believe I went home. (laughs) You better believe it because my life had to change. Some of us want No, we don't want to change. And I think this can show up in our dating life, in our work life. It can show up in our friendship life. But as the newness of Jesus' life starts to pour into our life, little by little, he starts stretching every area of your life. Areas you're like, Jesus, whoa, 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 do slow your roll. I didn't give you permission to go in there. And he just walks on right in. And he's like, I'm going there too. And he goes into our identities. He goes into our our finances, every part of it. We've been talking about it. But see, when the life of Jesus comes in with all his goodness, don't we expect it just to be obvious that it's good and just turn about face and say, yes, don't you look at the story and go, why can't they see how good Jesus is and just get on board? Are you with me? Now, that's why he needs this parable because you've got to understand, you think when God shows up with his goodness, you're going to see it, recognize it, and jump on board. But let me tell you, it's not so easy. Because sometimes we have 
a vision of goodness for our own life, and we hold on to it, and we look at Jesus as someone who wants to take away our goodness, and we get so focused on what he's asking us to give up that we can't see what he's bringing. It's like we've got a little teddy bear, and he's like, let go of your teddy bear, but we can't see what he's got behind his back. Can we go to the next slide? Yeah. I had a friend this week talk about her job, her career path, and she was really struggling with her career for 11 years, wanting to get this full-time position at this job and working her, working her tail off to get this job and finally got to the point where she just lost her job altogether and she just felt like, man, Jesus, what are you doing in my life? You ever have a moment like that with God? You're feeling tension in your life and you're like, God, what are you doing? Huh? And it just feels like he's just taking the good thing that you got for yourself out of your hands. And some of us have that view of God in our life. We see God as the one who comes to take away our good things. And if we're getting too happy, we're too blessed, we have too much goodness in our life, well, then God's going to show up. He's right around the corner to put us back in our place and take away those good things so we get back in place in life. Some of us have that view of God. And we don't even see the better thing that he's got right around the corner in our life. And now this is the good news. When the gospel of Jesus comes into our life, it is a goodness that is beyond any goodness we could create for ourselves. And we're so focused because sometimes God's goodness and our goodness are mutually exclusive and you got to pick one or the other. Sometimes they don't go together. Okay, we're in the wedding metaphor. Let's go with that for a minute. It's like, I want to be married to you, but I want to keep dating. <laughs> Try that one next time. <laughs> Doesn't work. Man, but that tension feels real, and it can deceive us into thinking that the tension is telling us that something bad is happening when God's like, it's not something bad or something you need to be threatened by. It's something good that is so much better than any goodness that you could imagine for yourself that you're threatened by that vision of goodness because it's bigger than your goodness. Where are you experiencing tension in your life and struggling to see the goodness of God at work in you? And is this your vision of God? You see, the Pharisees are not recognizing the new thing that is happening. And we're all sitting there going, how can they not get it? He's casting out demons. He's healing people. He's like teaching in ways that are blowing people's minds. He's bringing forgiveness. And all they can do is see all the ways in which he's breaking their little rules. And that's what he's doing. He's not fasting the way they fast. He's not doing the Sabbath the way he's doing it. He's not breaking the rules of God. He's changing the way they apply God's rules to their life. He's changing their traditions, and they're stuck on them. And they're afraid to let go of the way things have been. Jesus is showing up with worship music that they've never heard before, and it's freaking them out. <laughs> I don't know that song, Jesus. What about the old songs that I used to listen to, man? Those were on fire. These new ones, I don't know. They're, they're not from God. You know what I'm talking about? You've you ever been there? Come on, we've all been there. 
I remember one time with college students. You would think college students would never get there. I'll tell you a crazy story. We decided that the overhead projector had outlived its day with our, our <laughs> gatherings. Yeah, over, okay. An overhead projector was this machine, and it would shine light, and you put a plastic sheet over that light, and it would shine that image onto a screen. Check it out. And so rather than like a digital thing, you were sliding these plastic sheets on. And we raised money and said, let's get rid of the overhead projector. Let's get like a, a video camera, like a video machine that will just show the digital images on the screen and students, college students. The paragon of flexibility and readiness for new thinking <laughs> left our fellowship because it said, you're becoming seeker-friendly. You're, you're watering down the gospel by becoming more entertainment-focused. We're out of here. I got to tell you, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I, I didn't even know how to respond. This imagery of newness, it goes into the Old Testament, and Jesus is trying to evoke that memory of God's promises. I'm going to come, and I'm going to do something so good, so good, and so new, it's going to blow your mind. And if you won't let your mind get blown, then you're going to start to pull away from me. Because it's going to threaten you. And so he had been warning them and getting them excited. Listen to this, Isaiah 62. And Isaiah's prophecies about revival that would come, he has this word, as a bridegroom. Ah, you see that? As a bridegroom. This is 500 years before Jesus. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will who? Your God. Rejoice over you. Well, right there, that says a lot about God, and that, I hope, shapes, if you remember nothing else, that this is your picture of God when you walk out of here. But it's Jesus evoking that awareness. God is in your midst. There's no Old Testament passage that connects the Messiah to the bridegroom. In the Old Testament, it is always God. God is the bridegroom. And so Jesus is saying, if you can hear it, if you can accept it, God is in the room right here. And he's the one who's coming into your life. Can you make room for him? That's a big, that's a big thing for them to accept. Come on. Well, you know what she said? She said that it shows us that God meets us where we're at, and that's right. But what if you don't want God to meet you where you're at? What if you don't want God showing up in your dorm room? What if you don't want God showing up in your dating life or in your finances? What if you don't want God in those areas of your life, in your identity, in your sexuality, in your finances? Because you're afraid of what he's going to ask you to give up. And that's where we get, guys. As good as the good news is, it is God showing up with his authority to bring a goodness you could never make for yourself. And that sounds great until it means coming to terms with, because he shows up with his goodness, with his forgiveness. What's goodness? What does the new wine look like in Jesus' ministry? Let's just review it real quick. What's it look like? Let's just get, raise a hand. Come on. What's, what's the new wine look like in Jesus' ministry? Anyone want to take a shot at it? What do we see? What's new in Jesus' ministry? What? Yeah, we see his love, his compassion. What else? That's good. Come on. What? Yeah, how do you see his grace? Where do you see it? 
Can you think of any place where you see grace? Okay, accepting the tax collectors and sinners, so he's, there's this inclusivity. He's making room for people that religious people are not comfortable with. Ever felt that? Ever felt God pressing you to be more inclusive than you were comfortable with? Like, like you know, making room for people you would rather weren't around here? Okay? Okay, what else? Where else do you see the newness bubbling up in Jesus' ministry? Miracles. Yes, miracles on the Sabbath. Jesus is healing people. But if you're going to get healed, then you've got to face your brokenness. Do you see where that gets tricky? No, no, I'm serious. Do you see where that gets hard? Because if you want healing, then let's be honest about your brokenness. You want forgiveness? That's good news. But are you honest about your failure and your sin? Can you be honest about it? And that's where the tension comes in. Oh, I don't know if I want to come to terms with that, God. Because as far as we're concerned, the problem is out there, not here. And that's where the Pharisees, you see that? They're stuck. The problem is out there. They don't realize that it's in here with them. Now watch. Isaiah 43, 19. See, I am doing what? A new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? The Pharisees don't perceive it. We don't perceive it because we misunderstand the tension that God creates in our life with his good news because it stretches us and it asks us to be honest about the areas where we need good news the most. Ah, am I getting you? Are you getting that? There are areas in our lives where we need good news that we don't want to be honest about. Right? It's like opening up our lives to areas that need his help that we don't want to admit, oh, okay, I need help here. God, I got to find God. And he said, look, I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. So God's coming with something new. So let's review. What's new? Look at this. In, ch in chapter 127, Mark tells us, the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A what? Yeah, a new teaching. So Mark is going to help us. You'll notice this with all the parables. They're confusing, but Mark has given us in his gospel everything you need to interpret these parables. This is a clue. It's like a hyperlink. When you see the word new wine, new, you go, what else, what else has been new in Mark's gospel? Oh, yeah, new teaching with authority. And what is Jesus teaching? You go to chapter 1, 14 to 15. This is what Jesus is teaching. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. All right, there's three things, three new things that Jesus is pointing to that are new. Number one, the message. There's a message that needs to get out to the world that is new. There are people in our lives that have never heard this message before. You got people in your life that have never heard the message of God ever. We are living in the most post-Christian period in our country's history where people at this point have forgotten what they were told when they were kids and some people have never been told. At UCSD, when I worked there, there were students who had never heard the gospel ever. If you ask them, do you know what the gospel is? They'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Never heard it. So there's the message and then there's the content of the message, the kingdom of God is near. Do you know what that means, the kingdom of God? If you had to explain to somebody what that is, would you know how to explain it? 
Okay. The kingdom of God is what we're watching all through Mark. Everything that Jesus does is explaining to us, demonstrating the kingdom of God. What have we been seeing? Let's go through it again. Let's do it one more time. What have we been seeing Jesus do? Miracles. He's healing. There's healing in the kingdom of God. What else? There's forgiveness in the kingdom of God. Love in the kingdom of God. Absolutely there's love. What? Acceptance. Yes, Jesus is opening the door to people who never felt like they could find their way to God before. And they don't have to change to get in that room. They just have to be willing to show up. Okay, anything else? There's a humility in the kingdom of God. You know, don't you see humility in Jesus' actions here? Do you notice he doesn't humiliate, shame, or attack the Pharisees? He gives them explanations to help bring them along. There's such a humility in Christ that we can never lose when we're talking to people or addressing a world that doesn't know God. Okay, anything else? Freedom. Yeah, freedom. Freedom from evil. Freedom from evil desires that wage war in our own hearts and control our life. Freedom. What's that? Yes, new life. Now that is it. Look at this, 2 Corinthians Paul puts it this way, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Look at that, you guys. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Do you see the good news there? It's only good news if you realize you need a new life. But if you love your life as it is, Jesus' promise of new life is not good news. Does that make sense? Oh, 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 Jesus, I like my life as it is. I loved being in the dorms till two in the morning. I loved it. I loved it. It was so exciting. I loved that feeling of being in those students' lives and I had to make a choice. Oh, man, what am I going to do? It's weird how good news can scare us and frighten us because when we don't realize we need the good news to begin with. And the tension that that goodness creates can be confusing. So let's go back to my panic attacks. I'm having panic attacks, laying on the floor, freaking out, not sure. Should I break up with this young woman? She's amazing. I love her. And my, my roommates would ask me, like, bro, when you guys are together, do you guys fight all the time? I'm like, no, we don't really fight that much at all, if ever. I, I don't think we had any fights. And they're like, okay, all right. Like, does she, is she not, do you, are you guys not spiritually compatible? I'm like, no way. Well, maybe she loves Jesus even more than me, so maybe I'm not up to speed for her. And this is what my friend said to me. I'll never forget it. He said, well then, maybe it's not the relationship needs to change. Maybe it's you. Now, let me just get really frank with you. Some of you know this about me. Some of you don't. My parents went through a really bad divorce when I was younger. They did their best to protect us, but you know, it spilled out. And it created in me a huge fear of marriage and ever making that kind of commitment to somebody. And there were deep wounds in this heart that I had never allowed Jesus to heal. And the closer the goodness of that relationship got to those wounds, the more frightened I became. And you have no idea how close I got to breaking up 
with the love of my life. Right there. And that's when I started seeing a Christian therapist who helped me open the doors of pain in my life to the healing presence of Christ. But that meant facing my pain, my disappointments, and my anger with God. I felt he failed me and failed my family and let our family down. Now, i got to tell you something. I can't tell you how hard it was to open that pain to God. I didn't want good news there because I just wanted to forget and bury and hide that place of my life. But opening that area of my life to Jesus and allowing him to bring healing and forgiveness and freedom, it freed me to embrace this love between me and this young woman as the good news of God's love for me into my life. I didn't need to be threatened by it. I could open my heart to it. You see, look, I want to invite the band to come on out. And as the band comes out, what Jesus is trying to show us is, look, when the life of God comes into our lives, he comes with a whole new life that's going to change our lives. And the more we cling to our old lives, the way we've done things, the way we've seen things, the way we've seen ourselves, the, 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 the priority that our careers have had in our life, what we think makes us a great person, our physical attractiveness, our intelligence, our popularity that we find so much confidence in, that makes us feel secure in life, these things begin to get twisted around when Jesus shows up because he starts reorienting ourselves, our perspective about what really matters, about what really gives worth and dignity to us, about what really matters in our life, and he begins to change us. But man, it creates a tug of war in us, and it requires letting God to heal us, to free us from identities that we hold on to that are lame, little identities that don't can never match the dignity that God created us for as sons and daughters of God. Our identity as athletes, our identity as as popular kids in school, our identity as mothers and fathers. Yeah, even that one, because what happens when your kids leave and you're home alone, you're empty nesting, your identity as a mother gets rocked and you're like, gosh, God, am I anything more than I was as a mother? Because it feels like, man, I feel like I put a lot in there, God, and you're trying to find yourself again. And you're feeling the tension and Jesus is bringing you in going, sweetheart, you were a great mother, but you're, you're even more than a mother. You're, who you are is bigger than that. And you'll stay a mom, but I have something more for you. Something bigger for your life. It's good news that Jesus is bringing forgiveness, healing, freedom from our addictions, our materialism, our greed, the bitterness that we got to hold on to to make sure nobody else hurts us and we don't let that relationship run roughshod over our lives. Forgiveness doesn't make you naive. It heals you and allows the wine of God's goodness into those relationships to transform them. But it's letting them in. It's letting them in. And don't mistake the tension to be a threat. It is the transforming power of God 
at the threshold of your life. But you gotta make a choice. You're either gonna pull away from God or you're gonna let him in and you're gonna let him make you into a new person. Let's take that into this song. Where there is new wine, there is new power, there is new freedom, and the kingdom is here. I've laid down my own flames to carry your new fire today. Where there's new wine. go back to that image of Jesus and the bear? You know, she ended up getting a full-time job. She lost her job, but ended up with a a full-time job doing everything she wanted to do. And it was even better than the one she was fighting for. Um, And she gave this, sent this image to me this week to say, this is what I was like with God. I was like this little girl holding on to this little thing, this little, this little stake of goodness that I was able to get in my life, and I just felt like he was trying to rip it out of my hands. And I couldn't see the big teddy bear behind his back. You know, it's a funny, cute little picture, but it really is profound in helping us understand how God works in our life. I was backstage, you know, and I pray back there for, for us. And I asked God to give me things to say that maybe I didn't plan, and I got one. And um, I just wonder for some of us that are in this room right now, you, your idea of Christianity has been a lot like the Pharisees. Not being harsh and judgmental and critical. And I'm not saying that. You're not like that per se, but you have allowed your relation with Jesus to be contained and buttoned up into a very small, shrinking version of what it really means to follow him. Your, your view of following Jesus can never bubble over from your, the weekend service that you come to, maybe your little quiet time that you have for a few rushed minutes in the morning. You have these little compartments that you put Jesus in, but you will, you're afraid to let God get bigger than those little 
places you put them. It's about showing up, listening, nodding, and leaving. And the thought of allowing what is happening here, what you're learning and what you're seeing in these stories to actually take shape in your life doesn't even occur to you. In fact, you're, you're sooner to focus on what's for lunch than even think about what this might mean for your life. And look, I want to say this in the most gentle way possible. So I mean this very gently. You're suffering from Phariseeism. Phariseeism isn't at its core about being a prudish, uptight person. It is about containing God in a safe little place so that you don't have to deal with the overwhelming, overflowing power of his life spilling over into every part of your life. Jesus is messy. He's unpredictable. He is untamable. And he offends us when we want him to stay in his little box. I used to walk out on the stage, you know, and walk out among the crowd and talk to people. And it was freaking people out. I was kind of evoking their public speaking fear. So, you know, I didn't want to do that. You know, and I won't do that now. I won't come out there and talk to you. But it's like we want Jesus, just stay on the stage, Lord. Stay up there, and I'm going to leave now, and you keep doing your God thing, Jesus, and I'm going to go back to being a normal, ordinary person. And this morning, Jesus is saying, you're not ordinary. You're not ordinary. You're not made to be ordinary. You are a child of God. And coming into the wine of God's will for your life is coming into the extraordinary nature of your true identity as a son and daughter. It's allowing his life into your finances. It means, okay, God, maybe taking a day of rest is good for me. Maybe I'm going to take a day off once a week and rest on the Sabbath and let it refresh me and renew me in my life. That's the Sabbath. Where's that for you? When I was in college studying for pre-med, I heard a message about the Sabbath and I never thought about trusting God with a whole day of just enjoying him and his creation and his gifts in my life. And I gotta tell you guys, I was so scared to take a full day off and just not work, which for me as a student meant no studying. The goodness of God is better than you could imagine. And his goodness has come to refresh and renew you. And if you could use some of that, some fresh clarity in some areas of tension in your life, would you just raise your hand and say, I need God's clarity in this area of my life. I see you, brother. Put your hand up and you're just acknowledging what we're all here aware of, and that is we need God's help. You're just saying, I need God's help here. Christian, you could be a non-Christian. It doesn't matter where you're at. Put your hand up, okay. Okay, if you're sitting next to someone with a hand up, can you put a gentle hand on the shoulder? Like right there, just a gentle hand on the shoulder. Let's pray for these dear ones. Okay, you ready? Hand uppers, here we go. Pray, why don't you just receive this blessing? I bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Father, may you bless those who raise their hands with a fresh confidence that they don't have to understand what you're doing to trust what you're doing. I pray for a fresh clarity of your goodness in their life. I pray for a fresh confidence in the inescapable goodness of your intention for every area of their life. And I pray right now a faith begin to bubble up in every area of their life right now that they're praying about, that they may not understand what you're doing, but you have absolutely incredibly good intentions for them in this area. 
come, Holy Spirit. And we just speak now in Jesus' name against every thought from the enemy that wants to speak discouragement, doubt, unbelief, defeatism, self-hatred over their hearts. And may the light of God begin to just bubble up. May God free you to repent and embrace a new perspective on what God is doing there and to see it with fresh faith. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, my friends. Let's get out of here. God bless you. And may the Lord fill your life with his good wine this week. Have a good week, everybody. Come up and get prayer if you need some prayer.